If you've got a Bible with you, I'd just love you to turn to Mark chapter 4. You might also uh, just want to stick your finger in Psalm 107 as well. We've already actually heard part of that uh, read out this morning in our worship. We're continuing our series uh, today, Mark, A Journey with Jesus. And I, I just, I just want to pray as we begin because I just like the Lord wants to, well, he's already come and encountered us today and spoken to us today. I, I think he wants to ensure that we don't just be people who hear the word, but we do something in response. Uh, and I believe um, that God wants to come. We've just heard that we're adopted into his family. Uh, he's a father who wants to shape us and change us. And I think this morning he wants to, uh, he has already, but I think he wants to continue to speak into arts. I was here early this morning just um, totally changing my sermon because I felt God lay stuff uh, on my heart to speak from um, this morning. I kind of wish he'd done that a few days ago, but um, <laughs> that's all right. Uh, I'll preach that one another time. Um, and already so many things God's just kind of um, been, been speaking to us about. If you're, if, you're, if you're not a Christian here today, he's alive and he speaks. Um, if you are a Christian from another kind of context, we really do believe uh, that Jesus is alive, he rules and he reigns, and by his Holy Spirit, he's here today ministering to our hearts, and I just believe he wants to change us. Yesterday, um, I had to correct some stuff in my children. I've got three little children, and if you're a parent, you know this, you, you sometimes have to actually do parenting, um, <laughs> and it would be... Um, it would be grossly unloving of me to not correct things and help shape them when they get a little bit off track with their attitude or their behavior. And so I did that in my imperfect way yesterday. Uh, and I believe God today, this is not about to launch into some big heavy thing, don't worry. But I believe God in his, in his perfect father love would want to just come and shape some of us today. And he's already begun to do it. And I, Let's not be just hearers of the word. Let's be doers of the word. Let's, let's just pray real quick. We've got no time, but um, praying somehow makes time go longer. So we're all right. <laughs> or James, speak faster. One of the two. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we just thank you such that we have been adopted as family, that we're sons and daughters with mums and dads spiritually and brothers and sisters and aunties and some weird uncles too. Lord, we're so thankful that we're part of this family, the people of God. And we're so grateful, God, that you speak to us and you shape us and change us. We, we just thank you for this time we've just had. so wonderful this morning. Oh, Lord, would you seal it in us now? Change us and transform us and mold us to make us more like you. Thank you. That's the journey we're on. One day we will be like you as we see you face to face. For now, Lord, we just submit and surrender our hearts and our lives to you. Come speak, God. May we not just be hearers, but doers as well. In Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the thing, right? We've already heard it, literally. I think it's literally been said already. If you're not a Christian here today, you need to understand that the message, come to Jesus and all your problems go away, is complete nonsense. All right? Come to Jesus and your one big problem, we'll get there in a moment, that will go away, but everything else, it probably won't. And if you are a Christian here today, especially if you've sat in this church under my teaching for any time, all right, you will have heard me say that lots and lots and lots of times. It is complete nonsense. Come to Jesus and everything is p 
ponies and rainbows. Someone said, why do you always talk about ponies and rainbows? I'm like, because they're the nicest I can think of, all right, in my little world. It is not like that. We know that's not the case, but there's a difference between knowing and knowing. Like we can all know, but knowing. Mark chapter 4. We're going to look at this story in a moment. This is out knowing. Like really knowing. There's a guy called John Owen, right? He died a while ago, like a long time ago, like 1683, I think. Long time ago. He had 11 children. Ten of them died in infancy. And the one that survived died in early adulthood. And he said this, to those to whom Christ is the hope of future glory, he is also the life of present grace. Wow. In the midst of unspeakable grief and pain, to those whom Christ is the hope of future glory, he is also the life of present grace. And Mark, as he tells his gospel, as he tells the story, reveals more of who Jesus is, and he also reveals more of what it is to follow Jesus. And in this story we're going to look at here today, we're supposed to do the whole of chapter 5. We're just going to hang out in a few verses of chapter 4. Mark really sharply brings this into focus of what it is to follow Jesus. Look at verse 35 with me. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, disciples, let us go across the other side. This is of Galilee. The other side is like eight miles away, roughly. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat. Now, if you're kind of something in a lake, how's that work? Well, Galilee, if you've ever been there, is kind of a na- quite fairly narrow, and it's got hills around it, and violent storms often still to this day erupt on the sea of the lake of, of Galilee. Verse 38. So it's a big storm, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Wow. I don't know if you've ever been in a natural disaster or, or ever been caught in a, a storm at sea, or even if you've not, because if you live in this country, you tend not to get caught up in natural disasters, but we love programs about them. My fam- in-laws, my family, like every time we go to their house, they're watching world's wildest weather or something equally bizarre like that, and I'm like, what? I read a lot of books when I go to their house, but, <laughs> but there's something about it. Because it fascinates us, the power and the destruction of nature. Right? If we, we live here, so we don't suffer from it. Some of you have lived in or got family in other parts of the world that know exactly what this is. To live within the reality of the power of nature. I don't like the sea. Right? I don't like the sea. I mean, I've learned enough to paddle in it because my kids like it and my wife loves it. When we go on holiday, I've learned that. But I, I, I ain't a fan of the sea. And it all stems from when I was a kid. Uh, my dad had boats and we used to go out at sea on fishing boats, not like yachts or anything. I don't come from that kind of family. Like little boats, like we had to catch fish to eat kind of family rather than the posh one. Um, and we went out when I was a kid and I don't know how far we were, but you couldn't see land anymore and everything's fine. And then the, then the sky changes and the waves calm. And I'm fine because I'm with my dad. Like, you know, 
everything's fine when you're a kid and you're with your dad until you see a look on your dad's face that you've never seen before, which you learn later is one of absolute terror and fear, and then you freak out. And the engine doesn't go, it's all right though, because we've got a second one, and then that doesn't go, and then it's like mayday, mayday, mayday thing on the radio, and I'm like, I'd love to say, I was like, Dad, chill. I wasn't, I was crying like a baby inside. I mean, admittedly, I was only like six or so, so it was, it was excusable, because I'm terrified. And then the Coast Guard come and rescue us. I mean, you know the story worked out well, because I'm standing here. <laughs> but from that moment on, whoa, the, the sea scares me. It's powerful. You ever been caught in a storm? You know it is powerful. Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? And Mark's readers, they know. They know who it is. They know that the answer lies back in the Old Testament. This is not someone who is just powerful. Lord God of Israel. Psalm 107. They've sung this song before. We heard it earlier. This is the, this is the songbook of the people of God. And Psalm 107. Listen to the echoes of the story we've just read from verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters, They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the wave sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths, their courage melted away in their evil plight. They rode and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' ends. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad the waters were quiet, and he brought them to the desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people, and praise him in the assembly of the elders. They'd sung this song before. They knew exactly what it meant. For Jesus to calm thee. You see, only God himself has the power to command wind and sea and nature and subdue the chaotic forces of nature. Only God. And here's the point. Mark reveals more of who Jesus is. You see, it's one thing to heal the sick. It's another thing to cast out demons entirely an altogether other thing to command the sea to be calm. They'd seen the sick healed before. They'd seen people, demons. What they hadn't seen is, is the authority Jesus did it, but no one has ever seen this before. He simply speaks, be still. He literally talks to a storm like we should speak to a child. You're mucking around, be still. You're not behaving as you should, be still. Now we don't, because we freak out and go, what are you doing, But he speaks to nature, and nature responds accordingly. And what is really clear, what Mark wants us to understand, is that Jesus' mastery over the wind and the waves demonstrates that he possesses a power that the Old Testament consistently and only ever says belongs to God and God owned. 
It's God and God alone who separated the waters to form the land in creation. It was God who parted the Red Sea for Israel to cross. And it's God who speaks to the storm and makes it still. And in exactly the same way, Jesus does that. He speaks to creation and all of creation listens. Wind and water do whatever Jesus tells them to do. He speaks and water becomes solid and he walks across it. He speaks and water turns into wine so they can all drink it. Natural laws are made by Jesus and then they're altered by Jesus whenever he commands them with just a word we read in in Matthew 5 with just a word he speaks and demons flee and the man is restored with just a word he speaks to the woman with the issue of blood well actually just a touch and she's healed with just a word he speaks to Jairus' daughter who is dead and says little girl wake up and she wakes up with just a word even storms bow to his authority. Now, why this matters? Because we just have to paint the picture. We just have to understand the reality of what's going on here. He ain't some magic man. This is God himself who speaks with just a word and things are made new. He said, well, it might, maybe the wind's dropped. No, it says great calm. It's like dead calm. You ever seen the sea dead calm? The answer is no, you've not. You've seen it calm, but there's still ripples. You've seen a lake calm, but there's still ripples. This is dead calm. does not move because Jesus speaks. And why this is important is because Mark's not just revealing who Jesus is. He's revealing what it means to follow him and want us to focus in. Because this story is so very, very familiar to us if you've read your Bible. But this story is really about the nature of faith. You see, we're so often used, we're used to, I can't put it any better way of this, saying we're used to controlling our lives. We are so used to being in control of our lives. And so many of us, when we become out of control with our lives, when things don't go well, or even just don't go according to the plan, we begin to spin out and freak out. And sometimes we even look to blame other people, which is exactly what the disciples did here. And this story is so very, very important, so very, very crucial to understanding exactly what it is to follow Jesus. Because before Jesus calms the storm, they're terrified, right? I mean, they are scared. And they are scared because they have something to be scared of. We've got to understand the depth of their fear. These were fishermen on a lake that they often fished in. Like, they ain't scared of a little bit of wind and a few waves. They are terrified here And we've got to see that because contrary to what we think these days, experts tell us to be scared. We probably ought to be scared. They're seconds from being overcome. They're seconds from drowning. They're seconds from death. And verse 37, Jesus is asleep. And they're like, we're dying. And you don't even care. We're literally about to die and you're asleep. You don't even care. At some point, Pretty much every single one of us in this room at some point in our life has felt like this. We feel like we're sinking. We feel like everything's going wrong. And God kind of feels like he's just asleep. Like we know he's there because he's there, but like he's just asleep. He ain't listening to us. He's absent from where we are. He doesn't seem to recognize the seriousness of the situation we're in. Look at all this going on and what are you doing? Now, sometimes we don't 
We might not necessarily say it like that. We might not necessarily shout it like that. We might not necessarily, but that's the level to which we feel. I'm going through this and you're asleep. And they wake him up. And they basically say to him, help us. Don't you care? I thought you loved us. I thought you loved me. I thought you were going to be one who helps me. I thought there was a promise you're never going to leave me or forsake me. No, that isn't there yet, but I'm just putting us in it. I thought there was this promise that you're going to do good unto me. What is happening in my life right now? What does Jesus do? He calms the storm. But then look at verse 40. He turns to them and he says, ta-da, got it all sorted for you. No, he doesn't. He rebukes them. He says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? I don't know about you, but man, that seems harsh. It's of this real difficult trial, like pain, and this is horrible. I'm about to die, and you're telling me off. Like, Jesus, this is a serious situation. I'm not moaning about someone ate the last cookie here. I'm like, this is a serious thing. This is life and death, man. But here's the reality. Jesus isn't concerned with what the disciples are concerned about. They're concerned. We kind of have sympathy here. We, we say they're concerned with not perishing. Quite rightly, look at that. It's a terrible situation. Jesus wants them to grow up. Jesus wants them to grow up and recognize what following him means. And in a way that only Jesus can, he says, guys, you have no right to panic. Why are you questioning if I love you? Why are you questioning why I'd let this happen? You've not really understood the nature of following me because I do allow people I love to go through storms. I do allow people I love to go through trial. I do allow people I love to experience difficulty and hardship and pain. And here's where the rubber lands for us today. In Jesus is not an intellectual decision. I mean, it is. It's not like leave your brain at the door, but it's not on the basis of probability. Yes, I'll get it. No, no, no. Faith in Jesus is the total adherence the total following, the total commitment, the total obedience to Jesus, no matter what. And every single one of us in this room right now is learning this. That's why we've called this a journey with Jesus. None of us have perfected total obedience to Jesus yet. None of us perfected total adherence. None of us have got this nailed down, like sorted in my life. No, none of us are there at all. The Christian life is learning more and more and more in an ongoing step-by-step, day-by-day, week-by-week, month-by-month, year-by-year basis what it means to align your life and every area of your life following Jesus. And it's really quite easy when everything's swimmingly good. And it's a heck of a lot harder when life hits like this. And this is why it's really important to understand that the presence of Jesus does not keep the storm from occurring. In fact, sometimes the presence of Jesus seems to provoke the storm. Like, look at this story. Jesus is the one who leads them into danger, and then it seems like he withdraws. And the truth of this story is disciples would not have been weathering the storm if they'd not followed Jesus. 
If they'd just gone, no, you're all right, thanks, you're going that way, I'm going to stay here, they would have, everything would have been fine for them. It was in the act of obedience to Jesus that they ended up going through a storm. Faith does not magically create a world of harmony where all our wishes suddenly come true. The disciples focus on their pressing needs and they awaken Jesus to needs. Hey, wake up, Jesus, you need to hear what I need. But in doing so, Jesus, in his response, actually wakes them up to a reality of what faith in Jesus really looks like. They were scared before the calming of the storm. But look at verse 41. After the storm is calmed, they're even more scared. Why? Well, we think we're in control. And we're really not. And that's the reality that the disciples are awoken to here. The storm has power that we can't control. We are at the mercy of storms. We are at the mercy of Mother Nature, to put a kind of modern phrase on it. We, that's the reality. Now, we live in the UK, so we're not really at the reality of storms in that sense. It's not, it's not likely that a hurricane is going to hit this afternoon. It's not likely that something's going to fly down the Thames and wipe everything out. But the reality is every single one of us in this room at some point is going to be at the reality of nature. Like, hopefully it won't come in the traumatic distress of something, a natural disaster or disease or something, but at some point you'll get to the end of your life and your body will wear out and nature will have its course with you and you will die. That's a bit miserable, I know, but it is a reality. And it's why we need Jesus. Because without him, there really is a reason to panic. Without Jesus, there really is something to be afraid of. Because one day we will stand before a holy God. But here's the truth as well. This is what we need to get hold of. The reason the disciples were more scared after is because we can't control Jesus either. We can't control Jesus either. Healings happen that we don't understand. He doesn't do things according to our plans. And sometimes we're in danger of approaching faith with that same attitude of control. I'll take all the good bits, but I'm just going to keep Jesus a little bit at arm's length, thank you. I just want the good stuff from you, nothing else. He's God. And you see, if Jesus really is God, then there has to be some things about him and about the way he does things that we simply don't understand and cannot comprehend and can't get our heads around. Because this is really important to distinguish. If we are willing... If we're willing to question God and say, God, you're big enough to do something about this. I don't like it. Why are you doing this? Why are you letting this to happen? If we're willing to ask that question, then we also have to be willing to accept that he's big enough to have reasons for things that we don't understand. We can't have it both ways. Either God is big enough to do something about it or he's not. And if he is, he's also big enough that there's going to be stuff about him and about the way he operates that we just don't get. And this side of glory will never understand it. And the reality is the only place that's safe is in the will of God. God is God. And since he's God, he's worthy of my worship things are going well. And he's equally worthy of my worship when things are not. He's worthy of my devotion when everything seems to align itself. And boom, I just step from one good thing to the next. And he's worthy of my devotion when it feels like everything is slipping away underneath me. And here's the truth. I am going to find my rest nowhere else but in his will. Because he is God and I am not. And so Jesus is rebuked to his disciples, far from being harsh, 
It's actually drilling down to the real nature, the, the essence of true faith. There is a storm. And Jesus acts like he's not going to wake up. And they're sinking. And they freak out. And then they say, we, we just don't think you love us. What are you doing? And Jesus wakes up and he says to them, am I with you or not? Am I the Lord or not? Have I not called you here and brought you to this place or not? You believe I'm, when everything's good in your life and when you're on dry land, what's changed about me now life is tough and you feel like you're lost at sea? See, Jesus challenges the disciples on that and they're not sure. They're not sure of the answer. That's why they're afraid. But we sit this side of the sea. We sit at this point in history and we really can be sure. You see, this story, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, this story is almost identical to a story we have all heard before. Not Psalm 107, but a story you're taught in Sunday school. Old Testament story of Jonah. Jonah and the way, literally this story is virtually identical. Both Jesus and Jonah are in, out in, a bo- in sea in a boat. Both Jesus and jo- Jonah's boats are overtaken by a storm. The description in Jonah 1 is virtually identical. Go and read this afternoon. Both Jesus and Jonah are asleep in the storm. And the sailors in both stories come to the sleeper and say, hey, we're perishing. Like literally, they even use the same words in Greek. Do something. We're perishing. What are you doing? And in both cases, there's this miraculous intervention by God, and the sea is calmed. And in both stories, the last thing we read is that the sailors were even more scared, more terrified than they were before the sea was calmed. There's just one difference between the stories. Jonah, in the midst of the storm, he says to the sailors, there's only one thing you can do. If I perish, you survive. If I die, you'll live, so throw me overboard. And so, of course, they chuck him in, and they survive. Jesus, don't get chucked in. Well, not at this point in the story anyway. You see, we stand this side of the story now, this side of the cross, and we see the whole thing. He's in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus tells us, he says, disciples, I am the greater Jonah. I am the true Jonah. And he's talking about himself. What on earth does he mean by that? He means that he calmed the storm and the wind and the waves and saved his disciples. Yes, but also he's saying someday I'm going to calm all storms. Someday I'm going to still all waves. I'm going to destroy all destruction. I'm going to break all brokenness. I'm going to kill all death. All storms are going to be gone. He's going to still every single last storm For us. That's what he promises. That's what our hope of future glory is. That one day, every storm, every brokenness, every tear, every everything that is not right will be put right and will be made perfect. And how on earth can he do that? He can do it because when he was on the cross, he was thrown into the ultimate storm. He was thrown under the waves of sin and death. Jesus Christ was thrown into the only storm, the only storm that can actually ultimately sink you and me. You see, so often we're talking about this problem or or that problem or this or that or this situation or that. There's only one storm that can really sink you. We really will stand before a holy God. We really will be held accountable for all the wrongdoing, or the Bible says sin, in our lives. Then we'll face the ultimate storm of the wrath. But Jesus, 
on the cross. He dived headfirst into that storm on our behalf. He calmed that storm for us. He paid for our sins on the cross. And so come to Jesus and all your problems will go away. All your little problems will go away. It's nonsense. But come to Jesus and your big eternal problem, the great big storm that you one day will face, that really does go away. And we're so used to now, if all of this stage is eternity, we're so used to living just in this tiny bit that we forget there is a reality of a hope of glory that will go on and 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 on. And at no point in that future glory are going to go, do you know what? I wish you had done this differently here. Because Jesus has made a way for us. And the extent to which we see that and understand the nature of our future glory and understand reality of eternity and understand the reality of, the, of Jesus diving into the ultimate storm to calm it for us, the extent to which you get that and you know that, you're going to know that he cares. And you're never going to say, God, why don't you care? You're never going to question whether he loves you because you will know he really does. If you know he didn't and you in that ultimate storm, what makes you think he's ever going to abandon you in these little storms of life right here, right now? And that's not to belittle them. Because the little storms that we face are full of grief. They're full of pain. They're full of darkness. They're full of hardship. They're really very, very real. But here's the point. Say it in the words of an old hymn. His love in time past forbids me to think he will leave me at last in troubles to sink. By prayer let me wrestle and he will perform with Christ in the vessel. I smile at the storm. We might be in a storm right now, but Jesus is in the boat with us. We might not be in a storm right now, but one day we will be, but Jesus in the boat with us. And when we stand before a holy God facing the eternal storm, Jesus is in the boat with us and we will know nothing but calmness. He has not gone to sleep on us. If anything, to be honest, we've gone to sleep on him. Garden of Gethsemane, he's with Peter, James and John and he says, stay "Stay awake and they don't. (laughs) They all fall asleep. He's like, are you kidding me? I just asked you to stay awake. And he goes, and they come back, and they're sleeping again. And he says, why are you still sleeping? What's wrong with you? And he could quite legitimately say that to any one of us. You really have gone to sleep on me, Jesus could say. But I've loved you anyway. I have all power, all authority, and I'm using it for you. I'm going to be able to still all storms and give you a new heavens and a new earth. And if you see that, and if you remind your soul of that, you will know he loves you. You will know he cares. And then you will have calm, no matter what it looks like on the outside, to handle anything in life. Jesus says to them, why do you still have no faith? You could translate that as, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Jesus says, I've given you so much evidence. I've given you so much love. I've given you everything you need to pertain to a life of godliness. I've given everything you need to walk through this life, even in the midst of trials, especially in the midst of trials. I'm for you. I'm with you. Where's your faith? Get it out. Get it out. 
speak to your soul, think on, meditate on, remind your souls of these things. Here's the thing, faith isn't some mysterious thing that just happens to you. Faith is the stirring of our hearts and our souls and our minds and our affections and bending them sometimes, our will, to the reality that God is for us and if God is for us, who can be against us? That in every storm, it might feel we're stuck but he is the anchor. That in every moment of darkness, it might feel like there is no overcoming it, but joy but coming in the morning. That in every moment of trial and difficulty, you think, I can't think I can do this. He says, no, I, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Through every single moment, we can speak to our soul and say, it is well with my soul. To those to whom Christ is the hope of future glory, he is also the life of present grace. Jesus is our present grace in the greatest of grief. Jesus is our future glory and he will wipe away every tear. Adrian, if you could come back here, mate. We're going to respond right now. I'm going to sing, but just final thing. I just, that final word of hopelessness, we're perishing. It's actually also the first word of hope. It's the first word of hope. Jesus' name in the original Hebrew, Yeshua, means Yahweh saves. And when we call the name Jesus, when we call upon the name Jesus, the name by which everyone is saved, it both simultaneously acts as, an, as, a, as, a, as a kind of prayer of awakening. Jesus, I need you. It acts as, a, as an act of praise. Jesus, you're worthy. And it's also an appeal to salvation. Jesus, I need you to come rescue me. I need you to see me through. And it is impossible to call upon the name of Jesus and for Jesus not to act in accordance with his will and his nature. He does respond. He does redeem. He does rescue. He will see us through.